Thank you for joining the Roche Republic podcast. In our ninth episode, your host Adrian Clare is joined by Roche Republic advisors Mikko Riikinen and Gerrit Glass, an international fintech expert with experience at Europe's leading fintech groups such as Finleap and N26. The topic of this podcast is how fintech companies can master the art of successful international expansion. Fintech is among the fastest growing economic segments in the industry, attracting vast pools of funding across international markets. The segment encompasses many different sectors of the financial industry, such as payments, retail and corporate banking, lending, etc. Each segment still exhibits great variance in business models and product executions. However, the single most important strategic goal of most fintech challengers is to go international quickly. Adrian, Mikko and Gerrit cover the underlying strategies and tactics behind successful expansion projects and define the key success factors for fintech companies that aim to go international. Here's Adrian Claire from Roche Republic kicking off the podcast on fintech expansion strategies. Hi, this is Adrian from Roche Republic. I'm joined today by Mikko Rikinen, um, who's calling in from Finland. Hi, Mikko. Hi, greetings from Finland, from the land of snow and cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm based in Berlin, um, as always. And today we have also a great guest, um, Gerrit Glass, who's joining from Brazil. Great to have you on the podcast, Gerrit. How are you doing? Hi, Adrian. Hi, Mikko. Thank you for the invitation. Very happy to be here. Yeah, really Good happy to have for, you. for yeah. Happy that you joined us today. Um, I think, first of all, uh, we can um, introduce Gerrit briefly. Um, he's an international fintech expert, having gained valuable experiences at um, Europe's leading fintech groups like Number26 as well as Finleap. And most recently, he has, set, he has set up the local office in Sao Paulo for Number26, um, where he basically set up the local office and prepared the go-to-market for Number26 in this new market. And later, he joined the digital bank Nomad, which is offering global financial services for, for the Brazilian mass affluence segment as head of banking. And uh, just recently, he announced that he joined Avenue um, as also head of banking. His expertise is uh, fintech business models and strategy, international expansion, as well as compliance and regulations. So again, great to have you here. Um, I think what we could also quickly talk about is your new role at Avenue. You just um, released yesterday on LinkedIn, at least, that you joined Avenue. So I would be super interested to hear what you're doing there and what, what the product um, that Avenue is offering um, is, 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 that has not just been launched. would be interested to hear more about it. Sure, I'm also still very excited. So just uh, officially started yesterday, so I cannot tell too much details yet. But um, uh, I think Avenue is a super interesting company. It's a Brazilian fintech headquartered in Sao Paulo, but also have an office in Miami. And we are the biggest investment broker here in Brazil with the focus on international investments. So Brazilians can buy stocks and ETFs internationally, which is uh, sounds quite basic, but uh, Brazil is actually a very closed market when it comes into international investments or holding other currencies. So uh, Avenue is actually the first company who offers international, easy international investments for, for everybody. And um, since they gained great tra uh, track record the last years here in Brazil on the investment side and to grow very quickly, um, we are planning to expand the product portfolio also beside investment and this is my role to, to support on the banking topics. Uh, what is the target group? Is there like a minimum uh, invested amount or how do you, who do they target at? So actually there's no minimum amount in terms of um, 
investment volume. So of course you need first. So we are offering the banking services or investment services out of the US. So Brazil sent the money via remittance product from Brazil to the US to fund the account and invest in, and there we don't have a minimum investment. Um, but still the target group is obviously people who have some money left to invest. And since they're Brazilians, probably the first investments are usually also still in the home markets. But if you want to diversify your portfolio and want to invest also out, uh, outside of Brazil, for instance, in tech companies in the US or others, then you can invest. But I think actually everyone could open an account and use it, but the target group is rather the mass affluent uh, market of, of Brazilians, which is still a market of around about 10 million customers, I would assume. Okay. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Yeah, I think if there's one um, very hyped fintech segment at the moment, it's the stockbrokers, uh, whether it's stocks, ETFs, robot advisors, or cryptos. Um, so it's a very, very hot segment, I think. And uh, but I, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I think the, it's a market that hasn't been really disrupted so far. Of course, like Robinhood has been doing it for quite a while now and so on. But especially in emerging markets and even in Germany, um, where you know no one was actually really investing in stocks. Uh, like it really, really didn't get traction in the mass market. So um, I think there's still a lot of potential for fintech companies to actually now build innovative brokerage services, innovative you know wealth building services. That's uh, yeah, it will be super interesting to see how that develops. Um, uh, yeah. Going into the for the next question, I think that is also kind of related to that um, re regarding trends and so on. Has there been any fintech related news recently, Garrett, that you found super interesting? Cool. So I, I think. And also very great for the European fintech ecosystem is the latest funding round of, of Klarna. So yep. they just raised 1 billion in a, in a variation of 31 billion, and which is awesome for, I think, the whole European fintech market. And also probably interesting when we talk later a bit uh, about yep. the international expansion. Um, but uh, interesting side note was, from my perspective, that they also um pushed for sustainability i don't know if you saw it yesterday was also released a youtube video from from the founder that he said they take one percent of the funding round to yeah. um, use this for sustainable um, projects um because banking also needs to be sustainable and this was an awesome um, news and I, I really liked it and was yeah. um I hoped because he's also asking other fintechs to, to jump on this train. So let's see how it will be in the future. But uh, and also as we have the trends with sustainability, climate change, and there are a lot of activities happening in, in Europe, also on the banking side, like tomorrow and, and other banks and, and fintechs are focusing on. I think it's a, an awesome news and, and great for, mm -hmm. for the whole society. And maybe some other topics that uh, I found super interesting, but maybe just on, on a headline level was that Walmart is now starting also uh, a fintech in the US. Yep. Um, so like the verticalization and non-tech, uh, non-banking company is, is focusing on an investment, uh, on a fintech uh, and also hiring high class people from, from big banks from, from the US. It's a good sign for the global industry, I think, and also pushing the trend of, of verticalization that actually every industry is going now somehow in towards fintech. Yeah. And uh, I think that the other topics, it's already 
sometimes uh, was already discussed in the past, but I think the preparation of IPOs like Robin Hood is already doing it now. And also yeah. with the renaming of TransferWise to Wise and, and extending the product portfolio, I would assume that TransferWise is also a hot candidate for, for a next global player or at least for, for an IPO. Absolutely. I think what you also mentioned with Walmart is, uh, is is like this general trend that we also discovered in some of the last episodes here, embedded banking, verticalization of banking. So kind of non, non-FS players that now integrate financial services uh, is a huge trend. And um, I just read, I didn't go that deep into the topic, but um, apparently Walmart has been in fintech for quite a while now. So they like even like 10, 15 years ago, I think they, they also had already tried to build up banking services. But I think it's always also a question of timing. And I think now with this whole banking as a service and platforms that are coming up, it might be just way easier to do it now. So it's I think that's uh, that will be very interesting to see at least how Walmart is now then, what kind of services they will launch and how they will how they will basically use and leverage the market power that they have in the US, for example, to, to really bring bring those products right into the mass market. Yeah. Exactly. So, and then because actually everyone who starts as a non FS player going to banking is usually first going on a local payment scheme or a payment solution. Uh, yeah. But let's see if they're also being a bit more creative, maybe going in into other topics from investment to credit to maybe some, some crypto solutions. So I'm really excited to, to see what they are planning to do the next years. Yeah, absolutely. I think Miko, Miko would also be. It would be nice to hear your opinion on like this whole r- retailers or, you know, strong, strong, uh, like big brands that have really good uh, customer, ch- like customer acquisition channels or basically uh, that now are now going to integrate more kind of payment solutions or new, whatever it is, buy now, pay later solutions um, that are now hot in fintech, but that they could also integrate and kind of leverage their market power. Um, I don't know, we can probably not name any any customer uh, names and so on. But uh, since you're kind of deep into the topic, um, it would be nice to hear your opinion as well. No, I, I think uh, Garrett actually brought it up already that it seems like they are slowly, like everybody wanted to get to the payment schemes first, which was obviously the low hanging fruit, a little bit of a cliche, but, but basically the easiest to access to. And now slowly moving towards uh, buy now, pay later models and, and trying to bring I, I think they first tried to do their own thing, and now they are moving to to uh, different kind of white label partnership embed, embedded finance models. And I also see that the next one, the next step would be to bringing something new, which could be maybe stocks or I don't know some some kind of new form of investment. Because the relationship, what obviously they want to build up the relationship with their customers, and. Uh, the there seems to be this need for a value proposition that you know buy from us you save money and with that money you could do something else which could be then i don't know saving in funds saving micro investing in in direct uh, stocks or something so i i see it as well that the next the next phase is going to be much more interesting than the ones that we have been seeing so far yeah yeah Absolutely. And uh, my, my news that I found very interesting is uh, related to crypto um, because Coinbase, uh, or Coin, Coinbase uh, which is the largest crypto exchange in the US, has filed to go um, public via a direct listing. Um, and uh, based on that valuation, it's, it's, they have now reached a valuation of over 100 billion US dollars, which is a crazy number, obviously. Um, and I think it's interesting because they, they would basically go 
public at an at an higher initial valuation since um, since Facebook went uh, into like since Facebook became public. So, um, and I think that for a kind of fintech related company is already showing how hot this market has become. Um, they now serve over 40 million users worldwide, uh, transacting more than five, 400 billion dollars up to now. Um, so those are huge numbers and very correlated to the crypto boom at the moment. So I think if they go public, it will be very interesting to see how their stock stock value develops um, and the market capitalization. Um, my guess is, it, is that it will be very correlated probably to the Bitcoin price since they have been really booming based on that um, cryptocurrency um, since big big corporates have been uh, buying uh, like kind of uh, yeah buying buying Bitcoin with the treasury departments um, but also for consumers it's a huge trend at the moment in terms of investing so um, I'm not uh, too deep into the topic and in Bitcoin investing but it will be interesting to see how if they go public and how, how the stock price will develop and how the company then also internationalizes. Um, and that brings us to the topic of today, which is how to go international in fintech. Um, and I think it will be very interesting to see and to hear um, our three viewpoints on it. Since Garrett has been part of the team at uh, number 26, Nomad, now at Avenue. Um, and I think for fintech companies going international, especially if you're based in Europe, is a very important topic. Um, there's always this question, how long should you stay now in your home market? And when do, when do you want to go international? Um, so in this episode, we want to carve out useful expansion strategies for fintech companies and then especially highlight the critical success factors for going international. Um, and just as a very quick view on how to go international, I think there are two basic broad strategies. One is split scaling. So really going international very fast using the VC money to basically uh, enter new markets um, and subsidizing the customer acquisition by you know, the heavy pockets that you have, if you, I mean, if you have them, obviously. And the second one would be to stay low, just focus on your niche product, maybe focus on your domestic market and just focus on maybe monetization, unit economics and so on. Um, and I would be like, based on those two broad strategies, is there like a, um, an evaluation that you can make, Garrett, based on the blitz scaling? How do you evaluate those kind of strategies in fintech? Because obviously number 26, Revolut, they're always like the, the examples that are mentioned when people talk about fast internationalization, is this a model that has been proving very successful, um, especially in fintech? We know it from other industries like Airbnb, Uber and so on have done it. Um, how, do you, how do you evaluate this kind of strategy in fintech? Yeah, I think it's quite difficult, but also possible. But of course, as always, it's it's always with, with the details. I think comparing yeah. it to other industries, banking, it's again way more complex on the one side because of the regulation and the very uh, different regulators and requirements each market has. Of course, in Europe, it seems to be a bit easier because of the um, European Union and, and the passporting options. Um, plus, on the other side, I think banking is still a very local market. And, and uh, even within Europe, when you compare, for instance, Germany, a high cash market with uh, Lithuania or Estonia, which is super digital, also the Nordics as uh, Miko, way no better, way better than us. Um, so I think regulation and the local customer behavior makes it a bit oh, way more difficult compared to maybe other big um digital industries or, or 
examples where it was easier, even if, for instance, taxi market um, or or hotel market is also somehow regulated. I think still it's it's easier yeah. to scale it on on a global level and also in terms of leveraging the um, infrastructure you have uh, within hotel platform you probably can use it or uh, can leverage your tech stack you use in the US, same for Europe and for, for Asia. But in, uh, in banking, you always have to be somehow connected to the local payment system, either via a partner bank or directly. And, and this is not that easy to, to test a new market. But on the other yep. side, as you mentioned with N26 or Revolut, um, if there are some um, regulatory possibilities to, to leverage your existing infrastructure as N26, use your existing banking license from Germany to also enter other European market. I think it, it makes sense. And also as Rocket Internet shows already uh, showed in the past, um, you never know how each market reacts. So the best case is if you want to be successful to test quickly, as same as you build the MVP in general in the startup environment, it also makes sense to test new markets to see which market is successful and then focus on the successful market. And if not, then also being bold enough to, to leave the market again. But I, again, I think with, with banking, it's a bit more complicated due to customer behavior and also the um, regulatory infrastructure. Absolutely, I, I think I think so as well. I think, um, uh, especially since Revolut number twenty six, uh, Monzo to some extent, and also what you shouldn't forget is Moniz, based from the from the UK. They have also internationalized heavily, actually in Europe. Um, there are now already quite a lot of players that are have like that have invested heavily in internationalization. Um, for example, yeah, number twenty six. How many markets are they in now? I think over twenty or so. So mm -hmm. definitely covering most of Europe. Um, Revolut the same. Um, Obviously, the US has been an early target for most of these, where number 26 is now available, uh, Revolut as well. Um, so I think that's that's just the question is, um, even if you're building a new fintech at the moment, um, I think this spot is already taken, this new banking, retail banking space. There's probably some kind of first mover advantage already for Revolut and number 26 that they have now established their position already early on. Um, and for others, if they're not having a slightly different product or a different target group, then it will be anyways now difficult to follow such a fast international scaling um, strategy. And I was also thinking that it's it always sounds, especially in Europe, easy with the passporting. In theory, you can, of course, like get your banking license or payment institution license. But then, um, as you said, like their local payment schemes, even within Europe, lo local customer payments behavior and expectations um, and, and always like small nuances that you notice after you have entered the market. And then suddenly, after, like after, month after month, you become more localized for each market. And suddenly it, it even looks like it's not that scalable anymore because you're not really using your assets like on a horizontal level to some extent yes but then you have like local teams and they it's for me it seems like um it always goes in the direction of localizing more and more otherwise you can't really get the traction in those markets um like local ibans for example we've been trying that with hobby um and um that was very difficult to go with a finnish iban into germany and austria for example um i think with number 26 they also introduced french ibans and so on so um, it seems like there's some small things that are just very important um, and that other like internet scale companies didn't have to do and the banking you just have to do it so I think that's it will be interesting yeah, to see how it develops with the blitz scaling approach 
Exactly, and then especially as you mentioned with the the say with with SEPA, you have a unique uh, payment area, but at the end, especially the the IBAN discrimination. So, for instance, we also saw or with companies before where I worked um, that uh, if you have a French or uh, German IBAN and want to use it in France, you cannot receive the salary. You cannot pay. Yeah. Sometimes uh, they cannot do a direct deposit because of uh, some different digit or amount of numbers uh, in the. Uh, this um, IBAN and, and different stuff. So it's it's super difficult um, if you really want to do be close to the market and not just spreading out the card, but in the, somehow an account, but you really need to understand all the use cases. Yeah. I, I actually yeah. have a question to get uh, about the expansion kind of out of your own experience. Uh, do you have some tips for, let's say that there's an early, early stage uh, FinTech startup from Finland planning to expand? Like, what would be the logic to choose then the kind of market to go to? Is there something like a rule of thumb that, you know, check for the same language or check for an English speaking language or check where you can use your license or like how would you on a high level structure the, the first step of planning kind of where to go to next? Have you, have you yeah, learned so something over these, over these years? For sure, at least I can can somehow share what what we did in the past and also my learnings around it. I'm not sure if it's best practice or you should repeat, but at least from my experience, maybe even a step before, I would hardly challenge: is it already the right moment to expand? Because I think there's, especially if we look into uh, leveraging the existing infrastructure and the additional effort compared to how you maybe can gain more more value out of your existing customers or. Um, growing within your existing markets. But once you would decide to, to expand to new markets, of course, there are a lot of different criteria on a high level, the external or political environment, so the regulation, the stability, also the um, banking infrastructure and the banking um, uh, yeah, conditions in the market, um, plus how the regulator, not only in terms of which licenses are there, but also how supportive is the regulator in terms of um, adding new uh, or entering of new new um, fintechs into the market. Some are more closed, others are very welcoming. Um, other point is then, of course, also, depending on the regulation, how is your operating model? Are you going for own license or are you going with a partner? If you have rather the approach of going with a partner, you of course need to see, is there a partner, for instance, as Solaris Bank or other banking as a service provider, or is there only, or are there only older banks or no one who is doing it? So also seeing from an infrastructure perspective who are the potential partners. And of course, you have to, to see from, from a market perspective, how big is the market as it as itself from the market size, what is the share of wallet and the potential uh, value of, of the customers, what is the competition, uh, and also then how is the general behavior and, and demand of, of the customer. And this can be quite difficult. And then other internal topics like uh, how you want to set up your operations, the customer service, the onboarding, and, and these stuff up to um, uh, having a local team who really understands the market and also the relation with the local partners and, and, and these stuff. So it's a very multidimensional decision matrix, let's say, as, as consultants like to, to use. And at the end, 
maybe it's also still a bit good guess of, of, of the founders of the management team to, to make some bets as always. I actually like that what you brought up in the also in the really beginning that before going uh, before expanding to new markets, have a look at your local market first, like kind of not thinking as an automatic thing that you need to always go to a new market. There might be actually much more to do in your in the domestic market first. And that might be actually an easy way to grow your business. That's a really, mm-hmm. I think that's a really good, really good starting point for many of the many of the fintech companies. Absolutely, I think also to, to yeah, just just one one second for the um, regarding the Nordic markets. Um, my favorite example, what Garrett you mentioned in the, at the beginning already, is um, is Klarna. Um, they also started in Sweden, obviously, and I think the company is already. I mean, it's not really a fintech startup anymore. They have been around for quite a while now, but but still, they have shown that even you can start in Nordic countries and become a really global player on a massive scale. Um, and Garrett, you mentioned they just raised one billion dollars um, at a valuation of over thirty billion. So that's quite a huge number for European fintech companies. So obviously, they have they have been uh, expanding in across Europe. They have been expanding now also into the US. Um, where they have also massive competitors, but I think still, if you have a really good product and uh, good data and uh, that you have trained your models on and so on, especially in like the credit uh, environment and um, by no pay later um, segment, it, that's a massive advantage of, of, of course. So I think um, even Garrett, you mentioned this multidimensional decision matrix, even, even in that, given that kind of high complexity, if you're dealing with financial services, there's still room to grow if you have a really good product and you could maybe test it out already in European markets and if it's a winner and you see you're really on a huge growth trajectory then um, expanding into the big growth markets which are just US of course depending on the product US Brazil and now also coming India um, China is a different story probably but um, I think that's that shows that it is definitely possible to scale European fintechs as well and Klarna has shown it um, so they now have over 90 million customers, which is also a crazy number. Obviously, if you if you're always kind of hearing from the neo banks like Revolut, Monzo, and so on, I think uh, they would all they all aim to have almost 100 million customers. And Klarna has done it, of course, with a lighter product. I think their customers, are, I wouldn't count them as like real like primary banking relationship customers, but still, it's 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 an impressive number. Um, so yeah, for me, that's that's that shows that the split scaling is still possible. Um, but you, as you, as Garrett said, you need to know the re- regulatory environment. You need to know how customers behave on a local level, and then probably find a really good um, kind of uh, strategy that takes both into account without really slowing down your growth and having smart compliance strategies, having smart um, strategies for scaling the infrastructure that you have, and so on. So I think that's that's very important. Um, and another focus or another strategy would be just as, as also Miko already mentioned, if there's still a lot to do in your home market, you could just stay at home and focus on, on growing your market share there. And for me, like the poster poster um, benchmark would be stalling, um, which is also, I think it's interesting to talk about these strategies because usually the blitz scaling companies are driven by found like very strong founders that not always come from the banking industry. Um, Garrett, you mentioned Rocket Internet, like those type of founders that are really driven to, to internationalize quickly, subsidize growth by heavy VC money. Um, whereas Starling Bank has been founded by a former banker like Anna Bowden, um, and she has kind of built her neo bank way more conservatively. I think her, her kind of funding comes from more long-term investors. She mostly foc- like she only focuses on the UK. 
um, and you can feel like with Starling, they're mostly also focusing on banking metrics, like uh, assets, asset growth, not not really customer growth, but also um, like uh, that on more on the lending maybe, and instead of pure payments and customer related KPIs. Um, I think Solaris Bank might also fall under this category, um, which which has been growing really strongly actually in in Germany, and now. After that strong domestic growth, they're now entering France, which I've read um, they just released that a few days ago. Um, are there cases where you recommend, Garrett, to take a more slow and domestic approach and focusing more on the product instead of scaling really fast? Is that time over maybe for some fintech companies or uh, like that you should rather focus now on domestic markets? Is that something you see happening? Yeah, so the more I think about this topic also from my experience I, i'm more and more also foc would rather focus on on getting broader in your existing markets uh getting set it have proper infrastructure and and broadening the product portfolio or maybe the target group but still in the same market just because of you know the market and you you have the the proper infrastructure in terms of, of regulation but also of tech um Maybe just one one last note to the to the other topic. I, I think yeah, maybe the time is actually over because well, it depends, of course, on the business model. But if we look into digital banking, neon banking, actually everywhere in the world, somehow is somewhere is already a local player from from South Korea to South Africa to Australia to New Zealand, uh, India, US. Everywhere in the world are already local players. So why should uh, European or in whatever company? Be more successful in a new market only maybe in, if they could leverage their brand too much but yeah. probably an n26 is also not that known in in india or somewhere else compared to an uh, incumbent or to a digital bank there so uh and as long as you don't have a very global approach where you really add in value it's more and more difficult to really compete with the competitors and then if we talk for instance about nubank um they have the totally opposite approach. So they now announced last week that they are in beta phase in Colombia. They launched Mexico half a year ago, more or less, but um, they don't have a very strong focus on expansion. They just started with it uh, while they are now or still focusing more and more on Brazil. Of course, on the one side, similar to yes, it's a super huge market with more than 200 million customers. So there's a lot of customers to, to win on your home market. So there's no direct need like compared to other companies who are coming from a rather small um, country. But uh, also Nubank, they acquired an, also an investment company with, with um, Easy Invest in Brazil. They're going now more and more into the credit, also in different credit products. Um, they they extending their card and loyalty programs and, and these stuff. So they really want to focus more on more products and then gaining more revenue out of the existing customers and still of course gaining customers in the existing markets and now just slightly um, expanding internationally but also only their web makes sense and i think that's a good approach also as you mentioned with solaris bank i think if you really and it's also somehow how you want to position yourself so either do you see a really as a full-fledged bank who offer a lot of banking services to many customer could be b2b or b2c or are you seeing yourself rather as a digital as a tech as an end consumer brand um, which is like also from from the product uh, 
portfolio offering and also the how deep are you going in the value chain a bit different so yeah. in, in solaris bank just offering a prepaid card and and the digital account probably won't be successful if they just have this product and then expanding quickly same for for starling so they need to have a proper infrastructure in the first market and then see where it makes sense and also i think solaris bank is is focusing on european expansion and um it yeah. makes sense now at this moment but but not before and also maybe an interesting point to mention because of the background so if you see solaris banks they have a good mix of, of uh, entrepreneurs and but also bankers so the ceo roland Ford, uh, it's a it's a huge experience and track record in the banking industry and and also like a different uh, mindset or character personality than maybe guys who are coming from rocket internet they are very young push, pushed by investors and probably they cannot sit, uh, say easy note if international investors pushing them for expanding while maybe a more settled and experienced manager knows also to say no to investors in terms of expansion but getting your your homework and uh, your shit done before yeah Absolutely. I think actually related to that, it's an interesting thought experiment because the split scaling approach obviously has the goal that you develop your company as a global brand um, fueled by cheap customer acquisition costs then horizontally scalable infrastructure and all that kind of benefits. Um, but is there one brand that everyone knows regardless the, the market globally and you ask them about a certain banking brand? that they know. And I, th I think they're not, there's not one big global banking brand. They're, it's always very fragmented. Even in Germany, if you ask them about certain neo-banking brands and you, and you leave Berlin, for example, or, or Hamburg or Munich, no one has heard of them. So it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's very hard to build those brands in the first place in banking, but everyone knows Airbnb or Uber, for example, so, or MyTaxi. So it's, um, I think especially in banking, it's, it's, it's just very difficult to build up these split scaling strategies based on all the different like factors that we just mentioned. Um, and but yeah, maybe so, just PayPal is the only company globally, yeah, company, true. but also on a very niche market at the end. So of course they, they have the PPP yeah. solutions in some markets, but at the end it's also just a merchant checkout functionality. So but yeah, true. Yeah. And of course, Visa, Mastercard, but that's a special mm -hmm. case because they're the, the network um, providers. So, so if we if we then move on, like, and you already touched a little bit on it, but um, like, do you like do you have some best case examples of fintechs that you see as like the benchmarks for how they approach internationalization? Um, we already mentioned Solaris Bank. Um, obviously, you, you you know quite a lot of how what's happening on the neo banking scene. Is there like if if a founder would ask you what? What, who should I analyze if I want to really know how internationalization is done? Is there like a specific fintech that you think is doing an extremely, uh, like a, an extremely good job in terms of expanding into new markets? So, I think, so of course, again, it depends strongly on on the strategy and on the overall business uh, model and and the, yeah. the idea of the founder how to build. So. Maybe as I mentioned, I think Solaris Bank is not yet a good example because they actually did not expand it. Or maybe I think they are now studying in France, but it's too early to to assess. But uh, comparing it from a neo banking perspective, I think actually just in case of, of uh, in terms of numbers, uh, Revolut is probably a very strong uh, example how to expand also around the globe. So they launched in in Australia, they in Asia, they uh, also 
at least are recruiting and, and go and trying to to launch also in Latin America. They, they are, and and the speed plus the also the other product development they offer. So they somehow do both at the same because I think if you go ex, uh, expand internationally, it's always the topic of prioritization of tech resources or in general of resources of funding, but also on, yeah. on attention from the management from from tech resources and this stuff. And what you also saw with N26, so as they expanded really fastly, but if you go in each market, not every product is very sophisticated or they mainly launched with one basic product and then instead of going broader rather expanding in new markets while somehow and of course i don't know all the products around the globe of, of revolut but as it appears for me um they somehow have the the, the focus or the the the, yeah, the the energy to focus yeah. on both on expansion plus development so it feels like they announce every second week a new feature plus also every yeah. half year a new market and, and this really just seeing it from the outside it's really impressive how, how they do it and, and yeah. so it's a good benchmark absolutely um is there if uh, also related to that one is um is, are there certain key metrics or certain points where fintech founders should really think about internationalization? Um, I think because you have made the experience to bring a European banking product into a new, completely new market. Um, do you think there are certain uh, pieces that need to be in place before you start internationalizing to make sure that it's really a, a success? I was thinking, for example, about certain metrics um, that you have, like existing, obviously, Existing product market fit is a good thing to have before you go international. Um, so high customer satisfaction, for example. Um, and then I think there are other elements like, you know, monetization is figured out or your business model is figured out. Um, maybe other things like um, customer acquisition costs are also maybe better in place. Are there certain things that you want to check off a list if you before you really start going international? Are there certain learnings that you have made? Uh, so in terms of metrics, probably not. So of course, you should have be somehow successful in your existing markets, and then you can see on which metrics you measure on on uh, yeah, total amount of customers, of of market share, of uh, customer acquisition cost. Of course, also uh, how much value you gain out of the customer per year, and and these stuff. Plus, I think which is always important also from from a perspective to understand if it's a very good product um, to, to see the funnel conversion. So some banks are announcing a lot, a high amount of, of users. But if you go down the funnel to which actually open up fully regulated account, which funded the first time account, which used the card the first time, which used it on a monthly basis, which use it as a primary account. So you can go down the funnel and then if you have a proper, uh, there would also look into very detail uh, how is the conversion and why it may be stacks to, to get mm -hmm. also some, some feedback from the customer. But then yeah. from an overall perspective, I think it's way more interest, uh, important to see that you have a scalable infrastructure to, to leverage mm -hmm. at the end. So if you want to be a global tech company from today's understanding, you should leverage also on a global scale your infrastructure and not just building a local subsidiary and then Otherwise, you end up like a Santander, which is actually just like a, a, a global brand within or a network of independent local brand um, uh, yeah. branches consolidating in one uh, uh, 
balance sheet. But actually, if you compare, you can even, for example, you cannot withdraw money with your Brazilian Santander card at the Santander Spain branch. Because yeah. and all the systems are totally different. And I think this also come back to it. Of course, it has some regulatory issues. But if you just build kind of really new ventures in each market, which are fully independent, and you don't have any leverage or no economies of scale, I would highly uh, yeah, challenge the approach. And also, uh, oh, to, to reduce it, of course, you need to have all your procedures um, in place, especially also automatized as, as much as possible. Also, for instance, like an, if it doesn't make sense to have always local providers like um, maybe card production, but then on, on the um, processing, on, on anti-money laundering, on fraud, you need to set up somehow on a global perspective to really gain, gain scale. Also the, the onboarding functionalities. But then the other topics like customer service, which should probably be rather local because you have to, they have to understand the market and speak the language. So it's, it's difficult, but I think if you really want to become a global tech company, then you have to have a proper infrastructure uh, mm. and, and the scaling platform to, to use it globally. Absolutely. Um, I would also like to ask if there, because you already mentioned like local customer, customer success and customer support, um, if you have made the decision to go into a new country, is there like a, um, a certain team composition that you would recommend? Like what kind of skills do you need to launch, to launch a market? Is it more kind of compliance focused? Is it more product and research focused? Um, are there certain elements that need to come into place when you think, when someone thinks about the team? At the end, you, you kind of copy or, or leverage the whole company. So you need uh, kind of all functionalities. But since actually in, in all the big topics, you need a super strong project management and, and high communication skills just to combine the different topics. Because if you send a tech guy, a lawyer, and a, uh, and a legal, uh, uh, whatever, uh, um, a yeah. compliance guy to the market, it's probably difficult that they will build the bank, even if they know everything around banking. So you need strong project management and communication skills, I think. And then also, especially communication or the governance around it, how strong you want to be independent on the new market versus how much are you controlled from the from the central. Yep. So there are also a lot of different options. One might be you you hire full local, full dedicated tech and, and um, operations team locally. The other option would be make it strongly central and just have some satellites. And it also depends, of course, on, on the strategy and the culture of the company. But yep. these are important thing of course and then i think it's super important to have super strong local knowledge so for instance at 26 the, the first guy who was hired was a general manager and uh he knows the market perfectly has a strong network in the uh in the whole industry and um also when it comes to further uh, like the small things like like recruiting uh or actually it's not a small thing but the, the small things within recruiting. So to see how is a different behavior if you recruit a, a Latino versus maybe a person from Asia or from Europe. So some also cultural things you have to keep in mind um, to, to hire yeah. the, the best people. So there are a lot of factors uh, important, which only local people know. So the first thing I, for me would always be hire a super experienced local guy who, who is supported. Mm -hmm. 
Mikko, how, how, how was it for you as like coming from the Nordics, setting up fintechs in like the German speaking areas? Uh, have you made any experiences related to like how? Because I see, I see the, I see like the one point of Garrett as a super valid one, having the local market expertise. As a non-German, it's super difficult. Like it's, it's a such a different logic of, like if you go to the Nordics, you can just go to basically anybody's LinkedIn profile, send a request, say that hi. This is me. This is what I'm, you know, we have common interest. Is it possible to like connect or have a talk or can I send you a pitch deck or whatever? And people actually respond. Whereas in like to the German market, if you send a LinkedIn request, what happens really often is that people come to check for your profile, they leave it pending and they don't accept, even if you met them in person. But if you kind of like it somehow the Like people keep a really, really like a much bigger distance towards others than in the Nordics. Like it's somehow, yeah. in my, like although there's this kind of this joke that the Nord, especially the Finns are super difficult to approach and uh, kind of keep into themselves. I actually see that it's not exactly like this. I think it's actually easier to approach a Finnish or a Nordic person like for cold calling purposes than to a German, uh, German mm -hmm. somebody in the German market. Yeah. The same experience we had also in Brazil. So if you, it's totally different if you call, of, when we called from, from Germany, Brazilian people, of course, they were somehow supportive. We got some interest, but actually in not that sense. And after being one week on the ground, it was totally different. So meeting the people in person, uh, drinking coffee, having lunch together, that's totally different. And that's also my, my main learning or not, or one of my main learnings to really be on the ground when you even um, probably even the step before you finally go, decided to go to the market. So go to the different markets, do a small project on the ground to really understand how it works in detail because from a desk research or some some external consultants, uh, also just doing the desk research, it wouldn't have. So really need to be on the ground to, um, yeah. to fully understand and be connected. Exactly. And I think you need a local, like you, you basically need somebody locally to do some kind of introduction or some like, really really showing you around in a certain way how it works yeah i think this is especially important for um b2b startups like we are talking about solaris you're mostly selling to kind of wholesale selling like selling to other corporates other tech companies um which is a more direct sales approach so i think even especially for that one it's even more important to have this local a lo really good understanding of the local business environment as well um, of course, if you're, if you're just doing customer acquisition over Facebook and Instagram, that's probably a little bit different. Um, but in, even in that case, you need to know like the local um, how, the local game in terms of the marketing and how to write the copy and so on. So I think that's that's always that's uh, good to uh, kind of good to keep in mind as a key success factor. Um, and if if I would also sum it up, what we just mentioned, um, I think another really big point is to know the regulatory environment as the one thing, especially if you're working in banking, obviously that's super important. Um, then what Garrett mentioned, get your tech set up in place. So scalability, automation, um, you can't build like local systems for every single new market. So you should always keep in mind to have like, especially your tech set up in place. I think that's that especially concerns um, fintech startups that have built the whole service on banking as a service providers. So obviously there you're already limited on their internationalization capabilities. Um, then, of course, understand consumer behaviors and norms in new markets. So from the consumer side as well, 
And then the local partnerships is something um, that I think are also very important. So um, whether that's a tech partner or in terms of uh, regulatory support, um, in terms of marketing, I think that's uh, or customer acquisition. So I think that's also um, a very important point. But I think in our podcast, it's um, it would be we could probably talk for hours. Uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, it's really this multidimensional uh, matrix. Um, there's so many factors that come into play, and especially you could have this discuss this discussion on neobanks that are B2C focused and a completely different discussion probably on neobanks that are um, like Solaris um, or Oak North from the UK who are mostly B2B providers. Um, but I think this gives a really good first overview on how to internationalize as a fintech company, especially your experiences and your learnings are super valuable, Garrett. So I think that's very, very interesting for a lot of fintech founders that are just starting to internationalize. Um, where can people find you if they look for, for you online or if they want to know more about Avenue? Um, do you have uh, some recommendations for that one? I think LinkedIn is the best way to, to get in touch yeah. with everyone. <laughs> so so you actually you might actually accept their invitation even if even if they have if even if they haven't met you in person before. Probably, uh, I might get open minded because I don't want to close close the contact. Yeah, Yeah. depends who sends the invite. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, that's really great. So I think um, is there any anything else that we haven't covered yet? But what you would really like to mention, or did we cover everything? Maybe last uh, idea on on future strategies, what could also come up in the future from my perspective after the two ways you mentioned might be a stronger focus um, on M&A. So as we see now, a lot of former fintech startups uh, growing to actually market leaders in the industry uh, and also as Klarna showed in the past, I think. always bidding from the scratches probably especially also in terms of timing and and this stuff not the best way anymore for for more settled and uh, high capitalized companies and it's easier to and as already are some more competitors in every market um the only way of, of becoming a global brand probably in the future will then be just via acquiring competitors or adding kind of competitors to uh, to the company to of a uh, broadening the product scope so I can really assume or I would assume that rather M&A will lead to a global player than just international expansion from the scratch. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. All right. So um, thanks a lot for having joined us today, Garrett. Um, It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the invitation. It was great to talk to you and hopefully we can catch up on this soon. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for for your time, Garrett.